Good morning, Jamie. Good morning, Keith. Tronics, how are you? I am doing pretty good. Yeah, it's yeah. been uh, it's been an interesting week. It's been a long time since I went to a conference, and that's what I was doing last week. So, kind of just getting back into the swing of things. How was ChefConf? Did you learn how to cook? It was actually really good. I uh, maybe, I don't know why I said actually. Like I thought it was going to be bad or something, but it was a different experience. It's my first time going to a conference where I'm you know, part of a sponsor team. Right. So like we had a booth, Linux Academy did. So, oh. uh, every time and the expo hours were weird. Like, you know, when you go to a lot of conferences, like there's the hallway track and there's just the sponsors are standing there for 10 hours a day. Yes. Yeah. That's not how chef Conf worked. It was at, so it was at the Hyatt Regency in Chicago, which Fancy. is enormous. So like, I, Fancy. I'm like, I didn't realize the hotels had, you know, three basement levels for, as a conference center, that was an interesting experience for me, but you're on B2. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was between B2 and three most of the time. <laughs> so good times there, but it, yeah, like escalators just, you know, until I was way too far into the ground. But the expo was only open for certain hours. So when it was open, I would just hang out in our booth and talk to people. And that was pretty cool. Got to interact with a lot of Linux Academy students. Got to kind of A-B test my 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 sort of like sales pitch on content to sort of see what types of content got people excited and, and what they were really interested to learn. So it was a really good mm. learning experience in that way. So how did you do that? Um, I just give them like, I mean, I talked to hundreds of people throughout the the thing probably. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would just change what I emphasized when I was talking to them and just gauge their reaction. And mm, so scientific. I, yeah. You know, it's pretty good, right? It's uh, <laughs> all intuition all the time, but that's good, man. Yeah. It turns out I, it verified the ideas that I kind of had going into it. And uh, yeah, that, that, will just help me creating content moving forward. But beyond just like the Linux Academy specific stuff, the conference was really good. Uh, it did have like really insanely long keynotes. Like the keynote was longer than WWDC's keynote. And there were two oh. of them. So there was one oh. each day, right? Did, like, did they have two more things? Yeah, they did. They, they had all the things. Um, I mean, so many people came out on stage. It was very much felt like uh, WWDC's sort of keynote. Uh-oh. Like, hey, I'm the, I'm the MC. Uh, this, these are the people that are doing some things. Exactly. And then so Check they would come out and give their spiel and there would be some live coding stuff. Um, at a couple like just demonstration sort of things that turned out better than I would have expected. Um, like things actually went smoothly. So that was good. But yeah, learned some things. And most of all, it was nice just to interact with the chef community, which is really awesome that everybody is super nice. Like, you know, Ruby has the whole Matt's is nice, so we are nice mantra. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ruby people in general seem to be less nice than chef people as a whole, oh, even though it's like down. a subset. Right. Like I've had more awkward, like sort of aggressive interactions with people at just going to small Ruby conferences than I did going well. to this Rick very large, uh, you know, specific conference. Well, some of that well. was <laughs> that was not all their fault. Um, hey, what but, do you, oh, no, no, no. Hey, don't, don't pin this on me. That, no, that but, was my bad, the one that you're talking about. But yeah, I acknowledge uh, that one. That's, that's cool. Did you, um, when you're at the booth, did you have people put in their, their business cards into a fishbowl and give away a, uh, a drone? 
Uh, so we did not give away give away a drone. We tried to. We actually have a like. Uh, there's, it's like a floating Death Star, like Bluetooth speaker, uh, like yeah, it like so hovers close. around or whatever. So that was a giveaway thing we were doing, and the dude who won it just never showed up. So it'll go into the next <laughs> it's conference. It's on your desk. It's on your desk. <laughs> no, there's way too much stuff on my desk because we're moving. So I look like I'm living in a uh, an episode of Hoarders. Like things are boxed up and it's just all in my office. Like, Dude, get rid of it. Get rid yeah, of it. Rid- well, no, I mean, we did like, I'm, I'm not going to go into this cause it doesn't really have anything to do with podcasts, but the amount of stuff in our apartment has changed drastically. So there's a lot less, but the stuff we do have is in boxes and it's surrounding my office. So nice. Ooh, it's like a fort. It's like yeah, a fort. Exactly. Exactly. I just need to string up some, uh, some blankets and then I'll be good to go. Do you get a, get a flashlight? Get some books. Yeah. Um, did you tell people about your chef's chef sucks uh, website? Shh. Chef I, I actually, I did tell a couple <laughs> people who worked for chef uh, about it, how I used to own that domain and how it was more or less. And I, I talked to him about this was just that right. I had come into chef. I didn't really know it. And at that time, chef has gone through a lot of like paradigm shifts throughout its existence and the way people sort of did things. And at that time, I came into like a chef repository that had vendored all of its cookbooks. And it was really hard to figure out like where some of these cookbooks were even used. I was like, we don't use CouchDB. We don't use Erlang. Why do we have these two cookbooks? And so like when there are hundreds of thousands of lines of code in your chef repo that don't have anything to do with what you're doing, you can imagine that you're going to run into problems. So Mm -hmm. I ran into that. And then we also had for a reason that I am unaware of, we had problems with like chef clients failing the first time and then they would pass the second time. And like, so like, obviously there was an ordering thing in there or I say obviously, but that would be my assumption is that there was a recipe set up wrong somewhere. But so that just got me super frustrated because it would happen like, I don't, you know, it was a reoccurring basis, but it wasn't consistent and uh, it was just driving me nuts. So I explained that that was my aggravation. Now I actually am a pretty big fan of Chef. I like what they're doing and nice. Yeah. So that was cool. But some of the other things that Chef has that I've never really understood. I mean, in spec, I understand that's like a testing framework for testing the configuration of servers which can be used on any server. Like you could point it to a production server that you have a SSH access to, and it can run a test suite on the configuration to make sure everything is set up properly. That's pretty cool. Habitat is another product that Jeff makes that uh, I didn't really get when it first like was announced. And so sitting through keynotes and a couple other things, now I get it. It's a way of like similar to how you can package up applications in a Docker image and make it really easy to run with Docker. Habitat allows you to create a um, what's called a heart file from basically any sort of application. And then you can run that basically anywhere. So you can run it on bare metal. You can run it inside of a Docker image. You can set it up for Kubernetes pretty easily using some stuff that they ship with it. So getting to see that in action actually got me pretty excited. And it's something that I'm going to talk about when I talk about what I'm going to do over the next sprint to give us continuous deployment. Nice. Cool. Well, you want to you want to hop into what else you've been doing? Yeah, or? I might as well jump in yeah. on my my completed. So ChefConf is like half of my thing because I was gone for a week. And then the other half will be working with uh, Chronic and the workflow stuff. 
I basically went through and kind of figured out what I was doing with all the database side of things. Turns out how I had been like, oh, yeah, it's really awesome. And Elixir to be able to test things without really needing to worry about the database. That did mean I needed to come up with how to actually interact with the database on other things. So that led me down like, okay, how am I going to create a workflow that has or workflow template to store that has its own steps and has its own integrations and make sure all that stuff works. So it was basically an exercise in learning more about Ecto and uh, eventually got that figured out. But then my pull request was really huge. So you and I um, agreed that we could just call it where it was and then I could integrate it into the API in a separate pull request. So that was what I did last time. I didn't end up going through and adding a ton of documentation like I was kind of hoping. The the tests kind of do a good job of it which is one of those weird things, but it the the tests would be too big for me to work them into doc tests, which kind of sucks. So yeah, workflow, the back end of it is pretty much done, needs to be utilized in the API, and then that needs to make its way into the clients. But you and I have kind of planned, we're not going to replace the timer endpoint that we currently have within events, or the timer messages, I guess, uh, just yet. We're going to just kind of add workflow separately, and then we can decide whether or not we want to remove the timer stuff later. Right. Yep. What do you have planned for the the next few weeks then? Uh, the big one will be the, well, I guess I don't know if it's really the big one, but it's going to be writing that workflow event system into the API. So it's mm-hmm. where you can say, send a message that is like workflow start with some sort of ID and it will know how to, you know, load that from the database and kick that off. And then... Um, also I'm going to, like I said, probably use Habitat to create continuous deployment for us so that I don't have to worry about manually deploying the API every time we make a change. And I don't, I don't think it's actually going to be that hard. Like I spent time, you know, learning Habitat and interacting with people who know a lot about it, uh, from just like friends that I have now that work at chef and, uh, just talking to other people. And it's, with the scripts that I had already kind of written to do the manual deployment, I can kind of work that into what Habitat calls its plan. So that's how you specify these things within your repo, which is really nice too. So it's not like I have to set it up inside of code ship or something. It's I set up our plan file that specifies like, okay, here's what you do when you're like building the heart file. Here's what you do when you actually go to run it. And it's all just like it's shell scripts with hooks more or less. So the shell scripts that I already have, I can just work them into hooks in our plan file and it should, in theory, work the same way that it's already working with uh, the hot code reloading that we've got. So so where would this CI live? Um, so Habitat has this its own system that's currently free even for public stuff called Builder. And it even can... Even for private stuff? Yeah, even for private stuff. Um, so you can... Like in our CI, we, I would probably adjust our CI workflow to go through, run all the tests and do that jazz. And then I could have it build a the heart file and upload that to Builder. And then when something is uploaded, it's kind of crazy how this works. But so you run Habitat's like um, it has a supervisor tree that you can run on like within a container or on bare metal. And you tell it the heart file to run and then it mm-hmm. will go and run that. And the heart file specifies like how it's supposed to run and uh, be built and all that stuff. But what happens is when you promote something to being the new, like, uh, I don't know what term they use. I'm not sure if it's promote to master, promote to stable, something like that within Builder. Uh, you promote it right there. And then the supervisors that are looking on that channel of uh, heart files will notice that there is an was a new one 
created and it will pull down and do a rolling restart on the node. So you don't have to push out the the new application. It actually pulls itself down. Hmm. Do they have hooks into like GitHub and everything for the checks API, stuff like that? For the checks API. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have protected, protected branches for pull requests and, you know, hey, this check passed, that CI passed. Oh, that would be on us, right? So like we would have this set up in CI to um, like when master is built, it -hmm. would know that, okay, I'm ready to build a heart file and produce that. So that would be on us. That's that's part of the so it's not there for continuous integration, which is running your checks, running your tests, um, promoting thing to branches. It's not part of that. It's this really just part of the deployment for and deployment? packaging. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Their gotcha. goal is deploy any app anywhere is what their their goal is. And it really like once you kind of see how it works, you're like, OK, I can see how this could this could do it. Yeah. That seems pretty like generic and mm-hmm. um, like, yeah. Yeah, handle once you see it, you'll be like, oh, this is actually pretty simple. Like it's it's mm-hmm. not nearly as complicated as I would have thought. It's got its own kind of nuances to it, but it'll be pretty neat. And you and I will sit down and we'll talk about it once I actually get it finished. Nice. Nice. Well, cool. What do you, I think you've been up to more than I have. Well, I didn't go to a conference. That's true. That's um, true. Yeah, I did a lot of work on uh, Chronic over the last few weeks. Namely, I got the web app uh, to start, pause, and resume on the uh, website using our existing existing API. And actually, I followed, you know, pretty much what you had for – so we're using React Native for the mobile side. Mm -hmm. And I pretty much um, copied the spirit of your actions and reducers, made a little subtle – some subtle changes, but the, like, overall structure is – was – was there. So that's good because we are, we did talk about in the beginning, like sharing those actions and reducers. And I don't think there's going to be a problem sharing those. Cool. Um, the other thing I found was I'm working on another react project for a client. And um, I was talking to somebody that does a lot of react web and did a project where they did some react native stuff and they would share components, some higher, it's a loaded term, but some higher order components um, and some containers. So, or most containers and some some low level components. So, an example is like if you want to render a text field in React Native, right? It's a view slash text field or whatever. And if mm-hmm. you want to render that same thing in React, it's an input field. Yep. So when you get to that point of where you have to render that is where you can say, hey, rent, I'm on mobile, render render this component. Oh, I'm on um, web, render this component. And I don't know exactly how they had their repo set up. So I want to talk to them more about that. Mm-hmm. Like, do you have like a, <clears throat> a base repo that you import these from? You know, do you bring these in through NPM? I don't know how they're doing it. So um, I want to talk more about that. But I think we could probably share a lot of our our components and structure, which would be nice. Yeah. Anything that doesn't kind of round out to being a DOM element, I think, you know, you could put that in, those are containers, right? The, the things that contain the logic. Okay. Yeah. I know there's, they they contain the, the, yeah, this is also, this is whatever anybody thinks it is, but 
the way I've grown to know is containers are pretty much like they, they grab all your data through state, whatever, mm-hmm. um, API calls or whatever. And then they pass that data through props into your components. So your components just are working with props and uh, they don't really make any data manipulation calls. They pass up events back up through them to the containers and stuff like that. Yeah, they're just pure rendering. Correct. Correct. And those are the things that would be specific to your platform, right? Yep, and that makes Um, sense. Yeah. So um, I plan on the next two weeks talking to him and, and getting our projects, maybe project projects set up so that uh, mm-hmm. we can kind of implement that. I think that will, that'll be pretty, pretty rad. Yeah. That sounds great because that, I mean, that's just like, and it feels like an exponential return on investment when you can right. build it once and kind of run it everywhere. I mean, which I guess is kind of the idea with a lot of this stuff, which is why react native sort of became a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm interested. I, there's, so the next step of the, the mobile side is refactoring some of those, um, things, basically the react mobile or website, I'm sorry if I said mobile, but the website, uh, was basically just thrown together as a proof of concept and kind of, uh, uh, threw in some UI elements, mm-hmm. uh, for, for future, for workflow use actually. So, so some of that code is just kind of thrown in there. There's no really structure around it. So that's kind of the next step for me is to like get those moved into components and containers, uh, get the actual component names down and, um, get the structure correct. And then also add some tests. Cause like I said, we were just kind of throwing together yeah. some stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think the mobile app has any tests. I mean, I might have some tests for the reducers maybe. Nope. Nope. really don't no the web i'm sorry you said mobile jeez jeez yeah the mobile side does have tests oh right, okay for the gotcha. reducers and actions yeah um yeah so the web website i want to add some tests to that and get ci set up uh the other thing i did is i kind of experimented with like alerting system in the web mm-hmm. side so that you can know like when you're connected when uh, when something successfully like when you started a timer pause the timer all that stuff Um, And our idea is there to like kind of give you information about the next workflow thing that's coming up. So Mm -hmm. it'll say things like, Hey, your next, your next timer is a break or whatever. Um, So uh, experimented with a little bit with that. I'm not really happy how it turned out, but um, we can talk about that later. Um, Yeah. I haven't gotten around to reviewing those pull requests just yet. So, yep. Yep. You got two pull requests out there. So, uh, yeah, that's pretty much, um, what I've been wanting to do with chronic, uh, for a couple, I mean, my next, uh, my last commit to chronic was like six weeks ago or something like that. So, or like yeah, two months ago, it was kind of a sad, sad, like get long for me. I was like, okay, what was I doing? And I go, good Lord, that date <laughs> Ooh, it's back there. It's been yeah, a while. It's back there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm pretty, I mean, we're close to like getting our mobile and web timers hooked you know, and starting to work like a real application. So mm-hmm. that's pretty exciting. Yeah, this project's been a good uh, example of kind of like, okay, 
what does it look like to build a project when it's like really not your primary focus? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're super busy doing other things all the time. So I was like, okay, what's it look like to start like a non-trivial programming project and try to ship this over time? Well, it turns out turns takes way longer than you think it's going to take. Right. Uh, and, and, yeah. and we, when we purposely did that, like, we're like, you know, we know this is the, like, let's not put stress on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it gets done when it gets done and there's really no, you know, artificial deadline that we're putting on to this stuff, which actually I work better with deadlines. Yeah, I think uh, most people out. do. I mean, yeah, that's Parkinson's law kind of in effect. Yeah. So I just, uh, you know, I, I put my own deadlines on the things um, that I want to get done. Uh, and then I've been also kind of experimenting with like weeks of stuff. So I have so many like projects going on, mm-hmm. which I'm actually trying to reduce. Um so like I'll say, hey, this week I'm only going to concentrate on Chronic. This week I'm only going to concentrate on Tetsu. And that seems to be kind of working really well. Nice. Um, yeah. The other things, you know, I, I've been working on a new talk. Uh, I have two new talks coming up. And one is um, talking about a bot framework that I have yet to build. Nice. Uh, it's, been a, it's been in my head for a while. And I've like, you know what? I'm not going to build this until I actually get this accepted. So I have to build a bot framework in Elixir in about two months, month and a half. Mm -hmm. So I've been starting to um, think about what that looks like and and how that's going to play out and drew some some nice diagrams and things. So um, I don't think it's going to be too hard to build the base framework. I've obviously been working in the bot land for a while now, so I Mm kind of know what it needs to do and what it what needs to happen and Elixir is kind of the perfect language for bot framework. Um, I mean, it was built on Erlang, which is communication framework. So they're built for the communication industry. So like Elixir is like a perfect framework for this. Um, so I'm pretty excited to, st- I'm going to start working on that in our next, my next sprint and getting some of the, some of the pieces that I need for that built. Nice. It's called, I'm calling it Ju- Juve. Okay, yeah, I was, saw that in the notes here, and I was like, okay, what is that? I don't even know what that's about. So what's the overall topic of your talk? Is it like my journey building a bot framework? Well, no, it's more about um, – I so I've given a talk about building bots in Ruby because mm-hmm. um, Tetsu is built in Ruby. And half of the talk is structured on what makes a good bot like, and what are some of the design challenges and – how do you overcome some of those design challenges? Cause you mostly talk about conversational UIs and all that stuff. So, and then the second half of that talk is, Hey, how do you, how do you get started in Ruby building this? Not really around a framework, but what are some of the raw pieces? Mm-hmm. And that's really what this talk is going to be as, as well. It's like, why, you know, what makes a good bot? Um, why do we even care? What's the hype? All that shit. Okay, so is Juve a framework or is it going to be a bot example? Correct. It's going to be a framework. Okay. It is a fra- it's going to be a framework, yeah. And it's um it's going to be a framework that connects not only to Slack, but you know, Amazon, Microsoft Teams, all that stuff. Um, okay. Probably probably only for the talk it will be Slack, but it's built with the uh with like a simplicity of like a web MVC framework in mind. Mm-hmm. So I have an idea of like a controller and a router based on conversations uh, so that you end up at a controller and an action 
and you have the context around, you know, available in that controller action. So okay. what, like, what's the bot? What's the user? What's the team? Uh, what are, what's your conversational history? And that way you can just easily have these endpoints of where you end up uh, in your conversation within these controller actions. Okay. So did you ever use Lita? No, I have not. I've looked at it, but I have not used it. Gotcha. It, it felt like, I mean, it had a similar like routing structure. Like you could say, oh, when you receive this sort of message type, like you would use messages as routes, right? So you're like, if it looked like it matches this regex, because that's all routing is at the end of the day, right? That's right. Um, If it matches this regex, route it to this handler. And then that handler, you could specify like, okay, I need these like pieces of state out of somewhere. And then here mm-hmm. are some the methods that you could call. It was actually pretty slick. We, uh, when I was working at Squaremouth, we used Lita for quite a few things. And some of the bots that the guys on the team created were like really cool. Like they did some really neat things. And uh, the code was the reason about using Lita. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of like online conversational UI builders mm-hmm. that are kind of similar to that. Um, Although it's all in like a GUI framework. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, once, you know, here's my flow of this conversation and how it looks. And when I get to this point in my conversation, you know, if they say yes to this question, I want to do this. If they say no, I want to I want to branch off into this area. Okay, that so, it wouldn't handle, right? Lita is made to handle like well, commands, which is the big difference. Yeah. But it, like the structure could be the same. Like you know a lot more about bots, so I'm sure you could you can you're can seeing like okay, I can have this routing that's like doing things based on previous inputs and stuff like that. Maybe exactly, which exactly. works out yep. well with an Elixir model because you can keep that stuff in the process state. Yep, and everything, all the bots are their own process. Mm-hmm. It's just a perfect, perfect kind of. Scenario. So wait, are you going to have, this is like, this is seriously getting into the weeds of, uh, yeah, is, your, weeds. is your bot process going to be like a supervisor? Um, probably. And then there's probably going to be a supervisor above that. Yeah. Okay. That, to, that makes sense. Cause the status of all bots. Right. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm seeing like, okay, you have a bot for, let's say you have a bot per organization, right? Like Slack wise, it would be an app. So Mm -hmm. you you have this bot, but individually you want it to be used by more than one person. So you would have conversations be its own like process potentially that's managed by the bot. Yep. Yeah. Okay, cool. Nice. Cool. So my first task with that is, is pretty much building up the connection portion of that. So I'm making like a generic uh, connection that can connect to Slack and eventually, and then Slack has their own kind of different ways to connect to it. So they have the RTM, they have events, API. And so there's different things within Slack on, on different ways to connect to Slack. So that's kind of my first piece is to kind of create those connections. So that's hopefully what I'm going to work on next week. Cool. As far as chronic for the next time, I want to work on uh, the stuff I've already kind of talked about with the web API or the web interface. And then I'd like to pair with you and get like some of the GraphQL implementation that we've talked about Mm -hmm. with our API and it might be a good time to do it like soon because of the workflow stuff. Yeah. Like we might as well just get that using GraphQL. Sounds good to me. We just need to get something on the schedule. Yeah. Um, And then the other thing I'd like to do with you is kind of talk about our UI and how that's going to work and look and how that, how that works with integrations and all that stuff. 
how it, how it works on mobile, how it works on the web, things like that. So we should probably uh, schedule some stuff. Yeah, sounds good. I, uh, you know, maybe I'll, I'll have to find some time to make it up to Toledo and then we'll do, we'll find some, some time to work on this. Nice. Good cool, deal. Man. Um, anything else going on? Mm, not that I can think of. Yeah. Like I said, we're moving. So as the house is finishing being built, we're dealing with a lot of stuff there. So that, that's kind of, when uh, when's that supposed to be done or when are you supposed to be moved? Do you have like an actual like move in date? Uh, we don't have an official date. It's probably first week of July though. So we're about a month away, man. And you already have your Ford built. Yeah. Box no, I, fort? I'm going to have to move the box for it, but yeah, my, uh, Kendra is insanely good at like planning and stuff. And she knows that if we wait too long, she's going to get really stressed out as we like pack in a mad frenzy. I'm much more just like, Oh no, just let me get all hopped up on caffeine and we'll box all this stuff up in 25 minutes. Like that's my, that's more my, uh, <laughs> my approach to moving, I think, but she's a little more prepared than me. So yeah, we already have stuff that we know we're not going to use all boxed up and ready to go. Nice. Yeah. I've been, um, I've been getting my basement worked on mm-hmm. to be like my new office because it had like a, I think I explained this in a previous episode, but it had like a drop down ceiling and like office looking like lights and stuff. Yeah. So I hired some contractors. They like build out the framing and drywall and put in some, some nice led lighting and stuff. So it's actually just got done like last week, Sweet. Like last week. So yeah, I just have to do the painting. I freaking hate painting. And then I'll be, I'll have a brand new, uh, fancy, fancy office that you can build your own box for then. That's dude. I'm going to start sketching uh, designs right now. There you go. All right, dude. Well, I guess I will talk to you hopefully before two weeks so that we can get some stuff on, on the books to, to sit down in person and talk through some things. But yeah, it's been a nice chat. Oh, show up. All right, man. Talk to you later.